0: Our scripture today uh, comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy could be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this: love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So growing up in the Brethren Church, I, very, I re- heard this uh, passage very often, and I was always confused by it. Obviously, there's a lot of remaining going on in this passage, uh, which was a word I wasn't all that familiar with as a kid. Even worse, the translation I used uh, when I was a kid had the word abide instead of remain, and which was even more confusing because I had no idea what it meant to abide. Um, but this passage feels a lot more clear when you recognize some of its Old Testament context. The people of Israel were called by God to be a single nation that represents the reign of God to the whole world. They would bear witness to see how great God really is and how it's far better to serve him. The whole world was in rebellion against God, and that was destroying the world and causing pain and heartache. It's something we see every day. We see wars and crime on the news. We see broken relationships in our families. We see pain and illness and death to people who don't seem to deserve it. And we have to think that this isn't the way the world is supposed to be. And all of that is because sin drives away the presence of God. And God made the world, so without him, the world would be slowly unmade. Every day, people in this world cry out that the world is broken and needs fixing. because suffering and pain and evil and loneliness are not the way that the world is supposed to be. But the people of Israel were called in the Old Testament to pick up the broken pieces of this world and to set it right. And they'd be able to do that because God was thought to literally dwell with with them in a temple in their capital city. God's presence was supposed to spread to the whole world and reclaim the world, which rightfully belonged to God himself because he created it. The world desperately needed the presence of God, because without God, the world falls apart. And Israel bore God with them wherever they went. All they needed to do was to follow a few important laws that were found in the law that God had given them. And they could be summed up just by saying, love the Lord your God and love other people. By loving other people and loving God, they would bear witness to what the earth looks like when it falls back under the reign of God. The world would see how wonderful it is to have the true God as their God. If everything went right and Israel followed the law, God's presence would pulsate out of the temple through the people of Israel until the reign of God extended to the whole earth. And then all the evil and sadness and brokenness of this world would be abolished. Because God would be there forever and nothing would stand between God and us. It may as well be said that the world would be remade. It was a common metaphor in the Old Testament that Israel was like a vine that God had planted. If everything went to plan... That vine would flower and prosper and spread its tendrils into every aspect of worldly life. It would bear the fruit of righteousness to the whole world so that they would enjoy it. Now, those two commandments in the law, all that was required for the world to be fixed, love God and love others, sound fairly simple. And they really are. But as all of us know too well, it is much easier said than done since the whole world is in rebellion against God, even down to our very bones, we have the inclination to do the opposite, to hate the world and to hate the God that made it. We are incredibly tempted to take advantage of other people and to make the world worse, and to make it so nobody can trust one another. It feels totally unnatural to actually love God and love other people, even when we try our hardest. Even worse, sometimes, what we see as us loving God and as us loving other people, gets hijacked by our inclination to sin so that even what we see as doing God's will actually can be a huge self-centered mistake that only furthers the destruction of the world. And all the people that live with us are a lot like us. They also have this strong inclination towards sin. So it's really hard to recognize what it means to love your neighbor and love God when nobody around us really seems to do it perfectly. The people of Israel had the same problem, and so they disobeyed God's law, and they didn't love Him or love their neighbor. They worshiped other gods and they took advantage of how great God was for their own gain, and then they trampled down the poor among them under their feet. The vineyard that God had planted in Israel, which he hoped would bear righteousness to spread out to the whole world, had turned sour. So if Israel was thought to be a vine that God had planted, now it had become clear that the vine was a dud. It did not bear the fruit of righteousness and love that the whole world would enjoy. It didn't spread the presence of God to the whole world. And so God said in Isaiah 5 that he would give up on that vine, and he would start again. Now, you would think that that means that God's plan to save the world through Israel had failed. But just when it appeared that Israel was unsavable, God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, and he fulfilled the entire role that Israel was supposed to play in the world single-handedly. Jesus was the only one in all of history who perfectly loved God and perfectly loved his neighbor. He bore the presence of God to the world because he was God. And he perfectly obeyed God's law so that all the blessings that came from God, Israel's obedience to the law, including salvation from evil, sin, and death, would come to the whole world. And That meant that in his resurrection, a whole new world began to be created. His resurrected body was the very beginning of a world that bore no marks of its rebellion against God and one that could live eternally in the presence of God forever. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine in this passage, he's referring back to that common Old Testament metaphor that Israel is God's vine that is meant to bear the fruit of righteousness and bless the whole world. In this case, Jesus really is the true vine because he was everything that Israel was ever supposed to be. He followed the law, he loved his neighbor as himself, and he loved God. He suffered for the world, and he brought the reign of God to everyone. So the whole world came and recognized how wonderful it is to serve God. He began to set the whole world right and free it from evil and pain. That's what makes him the true vine. He's the true Israel all by himself. And so, what that means is that the metaphor has switched. We aren't the vine anymore. And we aren't responsible for bearing fruit on our own. Now, Jesus is the vine. And the only way that we bear fruit that blesses and saves the world is by remaining connected to him. We have made it abundantly clear that we cannot bear fruit, love our neighbor, love God, and carry the presence of God to the whole world on our own. And so God has provided us a new way for us to do that. And that's by remaining connected to Jesus himself. Just like a branch could never be what it's supposed to be if it's not connected to the vine, we can't be what we're supposed to be if we're not connected to Jesus. Of course, Israel failed, and of course Israel failed in the past. They were not fed and empowered by Jesus, just like a branch would always fail if it was not fed and empowered by the vine. And the beautiful thing is that now Jesus has cleansed and pruned us, so that we are deeply connected to Jesus. That means that the church has the same role that Israel played in the world. Loving God and loving our neighbor and slowly setting the world right. We spread the reign of King Jesus to the whole world, and they get to see what it's really like to live the life we were all meant to live. And all of this is possible now because we have connected ourselves to Jesus, and he is constantly empowering us to live as we ought to live. And so that has two really important consequences for us. If we are going to bear fruit and bring God's beauty and glory back to the world, If God is going to reclaim the world that he created through us, then we need to remember two important lessons. One, you need to be connected to Jesus. And two, we need to be connected to Jesus. Number one, it is incredibly easy to go on in our lives through the motions of the Christian life and forget to really connect ourselves to Jesus. We all have gone through hard times in our lives before where you can't help but be connected to Jesus. We've had times where you're really suffering, and you have nowhere else to turn but toward Jesus. But then a lot of times, what happens is the crisis ends, and you think you're returning to normal, and so you stop caring so much about staying connected to Jesus. You stop praying so much, you stop reading the Bible, maybe you stop going to church. And you continue on with your life until you face another crisis, and you really need something from God again, and you realize that you really need to be connected to Jesus again. But how much better would it be if we could just remember to stick with Jesus all the time? We owe prayer and worship to God because we were made for it. He gave us the gift of life and salvation. Do we really begrudge him a couple prayers a day? He bought us with his own blood to redeem us from slavery to sin. Shouldn't he get what he paid for? We've seen what a friend we have in Jesus, but what kind of friends are we? if we ignore Jesus when things are going well and then run crying to him when things go wrong. Of course, this was a common thing in the Bible, too. And it's a part of our nature. Israel was constantly going to God when things went wrong and ignoring him and going to idols when things were, were normal. We do it, too. But more than that, when we get stuck in the pattern of forgetting God, suffering, remembering God, and then going back to normal, we are practicing selfless, selfishness. We are ordering our minds to only be satisfied by the stuff that we want, and only to love God when he gives us those things. So in other words, we don't love God, we love the stuff he gives us. And the problem is that we can only really find true satisfaction in loving God and seeking his presence and in resting him always. We were made for that. We won't always have the stuff we want, but we can always have God. We can always pray for him to be near us and to guide us. Praying and seeking a connection with God, even when things are going really well, is actually a really great mark of spiritual maturity. Because then it means that we have desired God himself, that we love him and not the stuff that we need from him. Sometimes we tend to think that a prayer isn't really authentic unless we feel a deep need inside us to pray. We think that unless we want to pray, we shouldn't pray because then our prayers aren't really real. I am more and more convinced that that's the opposite of the truth. Saying your prayers and reading your Bible when you don't feel like it is the heart of Christian maturity. Because it means you want to be with with God even when you don't think that He's offering anything to you. It means you want to be with God even when it doesn't feel like He's with you. And the best way to make sure that you do that is to build it into your routine. Set an alarm or put a reminder on your phone to pray at a certain time every day. Remember to pray when you wake up or when you go to sleep. Do something structured, but whatever works for you. And believe me, this is something I need to work on for myself. I fully admit that a lot of times I forget God and forget to pray when things are hunky-dory. But it's something I need to correct in myself. Because it's pretty simply impossible to live a stable Christian life without constant prayer. A Christian who tries to do all the outward parts of the Christian life but doesn't pray is the exact same as a branch that tries to bear fruit while it lies in the trash unconnected to the vine. Number two, we need to be connected to Jesus. Back in March, our church had a retreat where we committed ourselves to doing what we have to do to get our church out of maintenance mode and to cast a vision to where we're going. We talked about how we don't want this church to close its doors anytime soon. We had a whole bunch of ideas and a burst of energy for how we're going to sustain this church long term and bring new people in. It was really important to us, and I do think that our church has made a lot of progress toward our goal of making God known to this community. But we can have a lot of really good programs and events at our church. We can have great finances and a new building. We can have even have a ton of new members and a growing population. We can serve the homeless. We can contribute to making justice in this world. We can have a happy community. But we must be wary that all of that can be a distraction if we aren't really connected to Jesus. We can forget what it's all for. And eventually, our church and all of its dedicated and energetic volunteers would burn out. A church that works its butt off to serve the community but doesn't have Jesus at its core is not really a church. I've come to be convinced that maybe that retreat was really important to us, and that all the new ministry work that we've done has been really great. But what has really been most important for us this year is that we have dedicated ourselves to praying for this congregation. The most important thing we did together was pray before Bible study on Thursday nights and before and after our meetings. A church that, has, that tries to have all kinds of new outward ministries without prayer is the exact same as a branch that tries to bear fruit while lying in the trash, unconnected to the rest of the vine. Because we simply aren't wise enough to figure out where to go next on our own. We don't have the strength to love others or love our neighbors as ourselves, because we are just so inclined to do the opposite. This world is a complex and crazy place, and we just don't have the wisdom or the strength to live here by ourselves. We have to be constant in prayer so we can remain connected to the vine. Now, both of these lessons are extremely convincing to me. This is really easy to get excited about all the important stuff we're going to do. It's easy to think that the success or failure, however we define it, of the congregation is really just a reflection of our own effort or will. That if we're just good enough or we work just hard enough that we can make this work all on our own, believe me, that's a temptation I have. And of course, we would never say so if someone asked us. But it's really easy to think about it that it's all about our own efforts during our daily life. But all we are when we're at our best is a vehicle for the presence of God. God is the one who's going to save the world, not us. And so it would be far better for this church to last another three good years with God in our midst than for it to last another 3,000 without him. Because what would be the point without God amongst us? We come to worship and meet God here. We have Bible studies and we have prayer groups because we desperately want God to be with us. We beg and lament every moment that it seems that we have lost God's presence. We don't go on without him. We need God with us, or everything we do will fall apart. But if God is with us, even if it looks like everything we've done is pointless, God will still honor it and work it together for his good. The entire point of every function at our church is that we might be able to meet God together in this place. If that hasn't happened, we failed. If that hasn't happened, we are a vine sitting in the trash ready to, be, ready to shrivel up. So pray for our church. Pray for yourselves. Pray for our community and our nation and our government. Pray for your friends and your family. Pray for God's presence in your life. Pray for nothing in particular. Pray and don't stop praying, because if we don't do that, then there's no point. We need God to be with us. It's the only thing we need. Let's pray. Great God, inspire our hearts so we would remember to love and serve you at all times, whether things are going great or poorly. Help us to desire the right things, or at least the one right thing, which is you and you alone because in you is found all the treasures and beauties of this world, and then some. And you are worth every one of our desires. Amen.